So turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 39. And before we do that, we're going to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. And Lord, as we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray for all of us. We'd have a better understanding of what faith is and what faith is not. Lord, you'd give us faith to live out loud for you. You'd help us to run the race with endurance. And so, Lord, be our teacher, we pray. Again, meet every one of us here. I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. We continue to pray also for those watching on live stream. Uh, we pray they'd be able to come back soon, and I pray they would know they are loved and we miss them. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. So context, you take a text out of context, so I get left as a con, amen. So we're going to take a moment, and as I always do, I'll tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'll tell you, then I'll tell you what I told you. Can I get an amen to that? People still laugh at that, which is comedy. All right. So in context, the book of Hebrews was written to the early church, many of whom, well, most of the highest part of the population were Jewish. And some of them were being drawn back to go back to the temple, to go back to the old covenant. And the reason they were being drawn back, it was twofold. One, pressure by family. You know, you can imagine the temple was still there. They had worshiped there maybe their entire lives. And that was God's plan for God's people until Jesus came. And then it was no longer the temple. And now it's Jesus. Amen. So the book of Hebrews, one main theme is Jesus is better. The supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he's better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the high priest. Now, the first 10 chapters was Jesus is better. And then we get to chapter 11. And I called, I tell the message if you're here the last couple of weeks, God's hall of fame. And these are people used mightily by the Lord. Now, what I want to say about these people is they were all sinners saved by grace, just like us. And every one of them, for the most part, had areas in their life that were kind of a disaster. And who can get an amen to that about your own life? Amen. So the good news is that your life is, doesn't need to be perfect to be used by God, because if what you needed to be perfect, nobody be, would be used by God. So as we get to chapter 11, it gives us the examples throughout scripture. And this was an exhortation because see, along with being drawn back by their family to, their, to the old covenant, they were being attacked by the world. See, because they were making a stand for God, the world was coming after them. Now, not in a way that we might think, not that their neighbors stopped talking to them or they don't, don't get invited out to lunch at work anymore because they talk about the Lord, but they were being fed to lions, they were being taken captive and thrown in prison. Uh, some of them were covered in pitch and set on fire. Boy, if you knew you might be fed to lions next Sunday, they might round us up. I wonder how many people will be watching on live stream. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but the reality is that in those days, you know, it was, it was putting your life on the line to confess your faith in the Lord, and you were getting drawn back by your family and being attacked by the world. And maybe some of you can relate to that. And so those chapter 11, all those witnesses that we saw were to encourage us, to show how God took normal people, he filled them with his Holy Spirit, he used them in a mighty way, and God brought them through. Now, some of them, it cost them their life. And so if you were here, just real quickly, we talked about, first about faith worshiping. Remember Abel, he worshiped the Lord, he brought the, the proper sacrifice. And what happened to Abel? His brother killed him. So he obeyed God and his brother killed him. So as Christians, just because you obey God doesn't mean that there won't be any trials. As a matter of fact, I need to tell you just the opposite. If you obey God, you will face opposition in an ungodly world. Amen? But faith worshiping. We saw faith walking. Enoch walked with God and God just drew him up into heaven. And Enoch walked with God when there was no Bible yet. He didn't have any prophets to speak to him. He had a relationship with the Lord, and the Lord drew him into heaven. Then we saw faith working, like Noah. Remember Noah building a boat for 120 years when it had never rained before. And if he had started a couple years later, if he had waited to start building the boat, he would have drowned with everyone else. And, then, and Noah's all, we're all related to Noah, by the way. Amen? 
Everybody in the room. We saw faith waiting with Abraham being told that he would have uh, descendants as the stars in the sky and how he had to wait for Isaac to be born. And then his faithfulness in offering him as a sacrifice, trusting that God would, would uh, raise him from the dead if necessary. Then we saw faith warring. You know, the reality is when you make a stand for God, be prepared, there will be opposition. Now, don't be a self-righteous jerk. Don't be arrogant. Be kind, be loving, be gracious, and be bold. Can I get an amen to that? We do not have to shrink away. We don't have to be afraid of what the world might say about us. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And God called us to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. You are the light of your office. You're the light of the place you work. You're the light of your neighborhood. You're the light of your family. And God saved you, and he desires to use you. And then finally, we saw faith, uh, last two, faith winning. We saw how God would take men like David to slay giants. He took a man like Joshua, and they marched around Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. People like King Hezekiah and King Josiah. And we saw that they subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They obtained the promises of God. God would make a promise, and they would have to wait, and they would see God show up. They stopped the mouths of lions. See, even though the Christians were being fed to lions, a lion can't eat a Christian unless God said so. Can I get an amen to that? God will deliver them if he chooses to. We, know, we always die right on time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego quenched a fire. I love that. Thrown in a fiery furnace and they had to be called back out because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? They, we saw they escaped the edge of the sword. And again, out of their weakness, they were made strong. People like Gideon and Sarah and Abraham and Esther and King Hezekiah. And it says at the end of that text there that they would not accept deliverance. See, in each of these cases, for the most part, they would say to them, we're going to feed you to the lions unless you, re- unless you deny the Lord, then, we'll, then you can live. Or bow to this statue and we won't kill you when everybody else is bowing. And the easiest thing to do would be just to go with the flow. And you've heard me say it, any dead fish can go with the flow. Amen? It's real easy just to be like everyone else and do what everyone else is doing. And when you do what everyone else is doing, no one's going to notice. But when you make a stand for God, usually everyone, if not almost everyone, will notice. But they had determined in their hearts, I would rather die with Jesus. I'd rather die with conviction than live with compromise. Amen? And praise God for people like that. And then we saw, finally, faith willing to die. I'll just read these verses, and then we'll begin looking at the verses following. Look at what it says there in verses 36 and 37. It says, still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, and yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. I love where it says, of whom the world is not worthy. See, We talked about the Hall of Fame here, and it's trying to win the praise of men. And people will spend their entire life trying to get into a Hall of Fame, to be remembered, to have a legacy on the earth. And the only person that we need to be famous with is Jesus. Can I get an amen? The only Hall of Fame we want to be in, because, you know, that Hall of Fame is going to burn to the ground. I asked last week how many people have been to the Hall of Fame. Not one hand went up. So it's more of a hall of forgetfulness, amen? Because no one's ever been there, no one's ever seen it. People spend their whole life getting into it and nobody cares about it. But you know what? It says the world's not worthy of them and that's from God's perspective. God looks down on these faithful men and women and says this, this world that has fallen is not worthy of these people and he brings them up into his presence. Guys, we need to be far less concerned about what the world thinks about us and who Jesus sees us to be. We talked also last week about how he repeatedly mentions their faithfulness, and nowhere in this chapter does he mention their failures. And they were all failures in different ways. Samson's in here. Praise God, Samson's in here gives me hope. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Samson, he man, she weak, total mess, didn't serve God till he was blind and about to die. And then he's in God's hall of faith. Don't you love that God remembers our faithfulness and separates our frailties and our failures as far as the east is from the west? Amen? What a gracious God we serve. Should give hope to all of us. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. God is in control. But are you willing to die for the cause of Christ? I think we found some of that out recently. 
Some of us not only aren't even willing to die, we're not willing to leave our house. We're not willing to share our faith. And I'm not picking on people. If you've got a health, a health issue and there are reasons for you to stay home, that's between you and the Lord. But in mass as Christians, it's, we should never let that happen again. Can I get an amen? And I promise you it will never happen again here. Well, it didn't happen here. We just kept having church. Amen. And we need to continue to make God the priority and the passion of our lives. The thing we also know is that we live in a time with the most access to the Lord and to his word of any people who've ever lived. See, those people, we'll see this in a moment, they didn't even, they hadn't seen the cross. They knew there was the story of a Messiah coming, but they hadn't seen him come. Uh, Many of them didn't even have a Bible yet. And yet they were faithful in spite of all that. How much more accountable are we? We have the completed word of God. Do you know how many, there are nations all over the world where people would give, they'd give every possession they have to have one of these. I've been to some of those places where they have one page of the Bible and they're looking for the rest of the story. If you've seen the the video, it's probably five or six years old now. They've delivered a case of Bibles to a Chinese Bible study and the people just wept and they were holding the word of God. I thought, boy, we need to cherish the word of God like they do. Amen. Too often we have 20 Bibles in our house and we don't read any of them. Lord, help us. We have commentaries and Bible software. We have Christian radio stations. Guys, it's, it's not a lack of access. It's not a lack of availability that keeps us from the word of God. It's our own choice to do something else, to make something else the priority and the passion of our lives. Believers exhibiting faith unto death. One quick example, and then we'll dig into the text. When I was in India, I went to India every year for seven years and used to teach up to 1,000 pastors how to study and teach the Bible. It was pretty amazing when you would think about it. We'd be in a room like this. It'd be 120 degrees outside. You'd have covering, but it had no, you know, it was hot, no AC. And there'd be six languages there. So I'd be standing in the middle. I would share something. And then six interpreters would say it in the six different directions of all the people. And they would walk for miles barefooted because they had just been delivered out of Islam or Hinduism. And they became Christians. And now they're hungry to know how to study and teach the Bible. They would walk, some of them, for a week to come. The people would walk for five hours to get to church. We've got air-conditioned cars, and somehow, 10 o'clock. Amen? 10 o'clock. Not 10.05. 10 o'clock. Well, one of these guys that was my interpreter, and uh, you know he was there to serve me. I should have been serving him. He told me the story that he said, I, he said, hey, Pastor Dave, I said, how long have you been a Christian? He said, oh, you know, about 15 years. And he said, I said, well, you know, I know you guys face a lot of opposition. He goes, yeah, you know, but it's part of standing up for Jesus. And then the driver said, tell him what you've been through. So he told me that he would go show the Jesus movie out to these tribals. He would literally take out a big screen and a generator and show the Jesus movie that had it in their language. And they had never seen a TV screen, a, a movie screen before. He said when they would try to crucify Jesus, they would attack the screen to save Jesus. But he would show these movies, and he said that he got arrested. And they arrested him and his family and took him out onto an island into a prison. And they would bring him and his family out every day, blindfold him, and tell him they were going to kill him. Sometimes they'd have the blindfolds off, and they would have a gun pointed to his children and say, if you don't deny Jesus, if you don't say you're going to stop doing what you're doing, we're going, to kill, we're going to kill your kids. And he never relented. He said, the worst thing I could have done is let my son know that my fear was more important than my faith in God, and I'm not going to do that. And he'd say, if, and if they shot my son, he'd be in heaven. I'm like, wow. And then I saw another pastor that was there as well. But by the way, they kept telling him that for three years. He was in prison for three years. And then they finally, one day, they brought him out with their blindfolds, and then he, when he, they all left, and then there was someone there to pick him up and take him back. But they told him, if you ever come back onto this area, on this island again, we're going to kill you on sight. So he went home, got his family safe, and went right back to that island and started preaching Jesus again. I'm like, bro, I should be serving you. What are you talking about? Amen? Am I, am I saved? I mean, look at this guy, right? I mean, you just see the, the passion. And we, in our country, we don't understand persecution at all. See, they understood it when this letter was written. They were being fed to lions. They were being put to death. Another pastor, I was sitting at a meal with him, and uh, I noticed he had scars on his face. He had open wounds. And I said, bro, what happened to you? Did you fall down? He goes, well, no. You know, I, I went into a village, 
and I was handing out Bibles, and I was telling people about Jesus, and he goes, you know, some of the villagers didn't want me there, so they, they attacked me and beat me up, and he goes, I'm so glad I had taken my glasses off and I was holding them, because usually they break your glasses. So I was praising God that my glasses didn't get broken. But he said, you know, the scars, you're a pastor, you know what it's like. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> no idea. Amen? And we're here, and we think we're being persecuted because our neighbor won't talk to us anymore at the mailbox because we talked about Jesus. It's sad. God's opinion of people willing to suffer for him of whom the world is not worthy. My prayer for all of us is that we would live in such a way that the world would not be worthy of us. So grab your outline. We're going to pick up in verse 39 where we left off last week. So we saw faith warring, we saw faith winning, we saw faith willing to die. Point number one there, I tell the message, running the race of faith. And first we're going to see our response to the example of the Old Testament heroes. So we saw the list of all the heroes, Abel and David and Abraham and all the heroes, all the people used mightily by God, God's hall of faith. And now how should we respond to that? Especially since the Lord has provided something so much better for us. They were faithful having never seen the promise and we should be more, that, that's, we're on the other side of the cross, and we should have a greater understanding. Faithfulness is not measured by results, but obedience, regardless of the circumstances and consequences. And point number two, running the race of faith. We're going to talk about that. And I think when people think of faith, here's what we often think. We think it's like our, like just really like trying hard to believe. And usually we do it most often when we're praying for somebody who's sick. Does that sound accurate? You know, somebody's sick, well, I just need to have faith. I got to trust. Now, again, I'm not saying we don't pray by faith, and we should. And I'm not saying we don't pray for the sick, and we should. But we, I hope that, your prayer, that, your, that faith goes far beyond that. I hope faith has, is, is sown into every part of your life. When you wake up in the morning, you wake up walking in faith. When you go to work, you're living your faith out loud. And it should ask, it impact all of, all of our lives. So I've got there five points running the race of faith in the midst of difficulty and persecution. That's what they were facing. Through encouragement of those who've gone before us. You know, the, I love to hear testimonies of others. Even repeating this testimony of this brother of mine that I was with 10 years ago, it just reinvigorated me to make a greater stand for the Lord. And when we see other people standing for the Lord with boldness and being unashamed of the gospel, doesn't it encourage you to do the same? It, it wakes us up to do the same running the race through encouragement of those who've gone before us by laying aside every weight. You know, we, I've been watching the Olympics. Uh, I, I love the Olympics. I'm one of those kind of people. I tape all of it. I watch it. I enjoy watching it. I watch sports that I never watch for another four years. Sports I didn't even know existed, right? But I just like the Olympics. I enjoy it because I was a at college athlete and I just kind of, I, I appreciate the dedication. But one of the things it talks about is is laying aside every weight. One thing you don't see, you know, it's funny, I had a, when I even way back when, when I was playing college football, I had a buddy of mine who ran on the track team, and I remember picking up one of his shoes, and I could barely feel it in my hand. It was so light. I'm sure they're even lighter now. And the whole point is that when you're running a race, the last thing you want to be doing is carrying weights. When I was, a, when I was playing football in high school and college, I used to wear ankle weights around all the time to strengthen my calf muscles, my leg muscles. I just wear them all the time but I never warm out on the field because I would have been lame, amen? And the same is true for us, that there, there's weights, there's these weights that can then burden us down to keep us from running the race for the Lord, and we need to lay those things aside, things that hinder us. We'll talk about those. Laying aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. Sin is anything that separates us from God. The Word of God defines it, and the Holy Spirit also will bring it through conviction. And you know when you're disobeying. How many of you guys know when you're sinning? I know every time, amen? You have to run through the stop sign. The Lord's telling you not to say it, don't do it, don't look at it, don't go there, don't... T and, and then we run through it anyway. And then we're hopefully convicted on the other side and we repent. But sin is something that we need to take more seriously in the Christian church. So much of our relationship with God and our level of spiritual maturity can be seen by how we respond to sin. You've heard me say it a hundred times, so one more won't hurt you. I believe... The spiritual maturity is seeing the distance of time between when we sin and when we repent. Because the closer we are to the Lord, the shorter that time is. Amen? It could have been a week before, a month, or a week, or three days, or a day. And then it goes to hours, 
Then it goes to minutes. And then it goes to seconds. Because when you're walking with the Lord in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he's with you when you sin. He brings immediate conviction and it drives you to your knees. Can I get an amen to that? So we need to lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us. By the way, there's some people here that you've got a stronghold of a sin in your life that you participate in probably daily that you have refused to give up and God's telling you, knock it off, give it up and repent. Can I get an amen to that? Those areas of your life, you're hanging on to King Agag. You're hanging on to that one area of sin in your life. You don't want to let that go. I, I say it again often. The word of God and the law of God is not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. He's not trying to keep you from fun. He wants to keep you from harm. Amen? He knows what's best for you. And then the last two there, running with endurance. Again, the race that we run as Christians is not a sprint. It's a marathon. So it's not just running really fast in the beginning of your walk and being on fire for God and then falling apart. The real race is finishing strong. Amen? It's putting one step in front of another and continuing to grow in your relationship with the Lord every day until you die. You've heard me say this as well, that I pray every year. I pray on my birthday. I pray it on, on New Year's Day, and I pray it often throughout the year. Lord, I want to be more in love with you this year than I was last year. Lord, I want to I serve you more this year than I did last year. Lord, I want to have more intimate fellowship with you this year than I did last year. And then finally, looking unto Jesus. Guys, here's the answer for all of it. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. So let's begin there in verse uh, 39, looking at point number one there. Running the race of faith, our response to the example of the Old Testament heroes of faith. Here's what it says. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. So they knew, kind of, so the best analogy for us is, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ is coming back? Okay, well, you would have said that in the first century, early before Jesus came, how many believe that the Messiah is coming? And they would raise their hand. I believe the Messiah is coming. Do they know every detail about the Messiah? Well, they know some prophecies about the Messiah, but they were being faithful in light of what was coming in belief of what was coming, something they had not seen, something they would not see. And all the more, we've, we look back to the cross. They were looking forward to it. They didn't even know it was the cross they were looking forward to. Many of them thought the Messiah would come and be a, an earthly king. And so they were faithful, just having a glimpse of what was coming in the future. Both those who had great victories as well as those who had suffered greatly their faithfulness was not measured by results, as we've said, but obedience regardless of the circumstances or consequences. See, their faith was revealed in their willingness to not bow down, to not give up, to not grow weary in well-doing, to remain faithful even if nobody else did, to stand up when everybody else bowed, to bow when nobody else did, to pray when it was outlawed, to stand for the things of God. And see, these are the men and women of God of whom the world was not worthy. And Lord, help us not to be moved by the culture, but led by the Holy Spirit. Not to be moved by political things or social media or what are people... You know, here's the bottom line. Here's what you got to get. You should care less what people think about you. Amen? Now, we should be a good testimony. We should glorify God. Don't be a jerk. But here's the reality. We should only be concerned with what people know about Jesus. Amen? We're tools in the hands of the master. I really don't care what you had for lunch yesterday. I'm not, all that, I'm not that intrigued. I know you think we're all, we all stopped our day and, and you're bummed that you didn't get more likes. But here's the reality. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And nothing else is going to matter. And they were faithful to the promise. Having obtained a good testimony through faith, they had faith even though they didn't know what it looked like. Again, another option for us is heaven. How many believe in heaven? If you didn't believe in heaven, why are you here? Can I get an amen? <laughs> but we have a belief in heaven and we have an idea of what heaven might be like. But I guarantee when we get there, it's going to be way better. Amen? And we're going to be blown away by it. But we live in light of that thing in the future. And that was the early saints. They were living in light of what was coming with no real full grasp. They saw it in a mirror dimly. And now we see it in clarity. Look what it says in verse 40. God, having provided something better for us, that we should not be made perfect 
apart from us. The word perfect there is to be made complete, to accomplish. The ministry began by these Old Testament heroes of the faith continues today. Now, we don't add to the word of God. We don't take away from the word of God. We should never do that. But the concept of people that are in God's hall of faith, I believe, continues. This is a list of people that were faithful in the midst of the faithless, who were courageous when people were afraid, who stood for the things of God, who surrendered their lives fully to the Lord, who walked in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, men and women whom this world is not worthy of. And yet I believe that story continues, and it can be us. You know, guys, we have the same Holy Spirit in us that they had in them, and we have the Bible they didn't have. We have the completed revelation they didn't have. We have the, the, all the prophecies being fulfilled that they never saw fulfilled. They were faithful. How much more faithful should we be? Guys, we have more exposure to the truth than anyone who's ever lived. In a sense, the last lines of these chapters, again, are still being written. May we live lives of great faith, faith not only to win, but to war and even to die if necessary. God has indeed provided something better for us. In light of the greater revelation, we've received the promise. These first century Jewish Christians who were facing persecution, being tempted to turn their backs on Jesus, in light of the greater revelation, the empowering of the Holy Spirit should have been even more faithful. See, as they were being drawn to go back, go back to the temple, to, to be quiet so they don't face persecution, they should have had an even greater fortitude because they knew more, because they had a greater uh, point of the revelation revealed to them. Probably going to offend a few people, but I pray it's not my personality, but here we go. I have a buddy of mine that, was, that grew up in a very uh, staunch religion that needs to repent. And I do believe there are Christians within it. It's the Catholic Church. You don't have to guess. There are people within the Catholic Church that are saved, and I doubt in my mind, okay? But a lot of what the Catholic Church teaches is anathema. Calling Holy Father. We got one Holy Father, and he's in heaven. Can I get amen to that? We don't kiss people's rings. We don't bow to people. We don't pray to saints. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And a buddy of mine who I worked with, who was a youth pastor at a Calvary Chapel for 20 years, contacted me a few years back saying he's gone back to the Catholic Church. And then he sent me pictures. He's got Mary tattooed on his arm, and he's got St. Peter tattooed on his arm, and he's, got, and he's got, and I'm like, help me out here, bro. Help me out. So you're sewing the veil back up. Remember that when Jesus died, the veil was torn. We can enter into the presence of God. We don't need to go into a box and confess to a man and pray a bunch of vain with vain repetition to be forgiven. Jesus paid the price on the cross, and it is finished. Amen. But here's the point is there's this, but he had grown up in the Catholic church and he, his whole family was, why aren't you? And he, he went back to please his family initially. And before you knew it, he was back in that way of life. And again, I'm not, I believe he's saved. I think he's going to heaven, but I think he's missing out on all that God has by going. I'm, I'm like, bro, Mary doesn't hear you. Amen. If you could be grieved in heaven, it would be, Mary. she'd say, knock it off. Amen. She is not co-redeemer with Jesus. Amen? We go to heaven. Th Mary didn't die on the cross. Peter didn't die. Peter denied Jesus and walked away and cussed. Can I get an amen to that? We don't build it. Now, praise God, Peter with the Holy Spirit led 3,000 souls to Christ in a single day. But guys, we don't put our faith in men. We don't put our faith in churches. We don't put our faith in religion. We don't put our faith in the temple. We put our faith in Jesus Christ and him alone and him risen from the dead. Amen? That's where our faith is. And the world will try to draw you away. Don't put your faith in your bank account. Don't put your faith in your, in your ability to debate people. Don't put your faith in anything else. Because it's all perishing. It's all going to burn. So how do we go about running this race? Look at point number two there. Running the race of faith. Look at verse one. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So therefore, we also, so 
Just like the first century church had a greater understanding of the truth, now how much more is that true 2,000 years later? We also, and then it says, have, you know, the word therefore is in light of all that we had seen, all the faithfulness of Abel and David and Daniel and everybody in scripture, we saw that list. How much more should we live by faith? How much more should we stand for the things of God? But he says, they're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I want to tell you this, that this is a misinterpreted verse by a lot of people. I've heard pastors teach this, that Moses is up in heaven cheering you on. It says a cloud of witness. They're on a cloud looking down. We're Super Bowl Sunday to them. Go, yeah, witness, share your faith. Go, go, you know, get to church on time. Amen, right? All this stuff, right? (laughs) And there's this, you know, supposedly this cloud cheering us on. That's not what it means at all. First of all, when we're in heaven, we're not looking down, we're looking up. Amen? The Bible tells us there's no, there's no tears in heaven. So I know they're looking down at this mess. Can I get an amen? <laughs> They'd all be crying, right? So they're not looking down. So that cloud of witnesses doesn't speak of them actually, you know, sitting on a cloud and, and cheering for us as we run the race. That's not the case at all. The writer exhorts them to remember those who had faithfully finished the race of faith before them. And again, a clear reference to the hall of faith in the previous chapter. The word surrounded there means to lie all around, to enclose and circle, to hang about. While these early Christians were indeed enduring persecution to the point of considering bailing out and walking away, the word of God is filled with examples of those who remained faithful to the end. See, they were an example to them of these remained faithful. You need to remain faithful too. Here's examples of men and women who stood for the things of God, some of them even unto death, of whom the world was not worthy. Follow their example, not the example of the world. I get it. I mean, I like sports, but less and less all the time, but uh, just getting weary of some of the nonsense. But your idol shouldn't be anybody but Jesus. Amen? We, 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 we exalt people that can hit a ball with a stick. We exalt people that can throw a ball into a hoop or catch a, you know, catch a football and run over people. I like football, but I don't worship those guys. Are you kidding me? Can I get him into that? We need to pray for them. Many of them need Jesus. See, the witness is for us. Above all, it's the Lord. But then we can look back to people who the Lord is doing a work in. And we can recognize if God can use them, he can use me. If they can remain faithful in the midst of this, I can remain faithful too with the help of the Lord. Without him, we can do nothing, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? The word there for all is all. That's everybody. That means God can strengthen me and he can strengthen you. So it should serve as a source of encouragement for those still running the race. Those who finished it, finished it well, finished strong, could not have known the amount or impact of their faithfulness would have on the coming generations. I've shared this with you before and I'll share it again because he's you know, next to the Lord, the person had the greatest impact in my life was my own father. And my dad was in his 80s, and he had early onset of dementia, and then he had a stroke, and he went blind. Here's my dad in his 80s, and he had signed up. He'd been a pastor for 60 years, and he had signed up for the 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. shift on a number where people call him with questions about Jesus. So here's my blind dad from 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. every night, getting up in the middle of the night, setting his alarm getting on this computer and taking calls to tell people about Jesus. I call that finishing strong. <laughs> didn't retire, didn't go lay down and wait for the, you know, the end to come. And when we would hang up the phone every time, he would say the same thing to me and I'd say the same thing to him. I'd say, I love you, dad. He'd say, I love you, son. And then we'd say together, let's finish strong. You know what? I want to follow that example. And here's an example for all of us right here. Hebrews 11 is an example of how God can take fallible people and use them mightily for his kingdom and for his glory. Amen. We don't put our faith in Daniel, but we love his example and we love how God used him. Amen. We don't put our faith in the apostles, but I'm I'm looking forward to having a taco with those guys in heaven. Amen. (laughs) So the wording here again is they're not, it's not that they're cheering us on. It sounds kind of cool to think that Moses is cheering for you, but you know, what's even cooler than thinking Moses is cheering for you. Jesus is praying for you. And that's a reality. He's seated at the right hand of the Father praying for you, interceding on your behalf. When you're tempted, he's praying for you. When you're sharing your faith, he's praying for you. 
When you're studying to prepare to teach somebody else, he's praying for you. When you're trying to restore your marriage, he's praying for you. When you're reaching out to your, to your wayward children, he's praying for you. Our God's praying for us. He's interceding on our behalf. And again, heaven is a place of eternal joy. That's not why they're looking back and Jesus is in heaven, so they're looking up. Again, the word cloud there is a, a dense multitude, a, a, a throng of people. It speaks not of, of witnesses' location as much as their number. They're so great a cloud. There's such a huge amount. Look at all these people that have faithfully served God. That ought to encourage us all. How many of you guys ever heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs? There's another book called Jesus Freaks. One of my favorites. I just gave it away. I got to buy another one. And they're like a page and a half of hero, you know, people who walk with the Lord and were martyred for their faith, one right after another. It's called Jesus Freaks. DC Talk, old DC Talk put it out. They had a song called Jesus Freaks. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? Amen. What will people do when they find out it's true? I hope they find out that we're all Jesus freaks. Amen. I was wearing a shirt one day that said, love God, hate sin. I was at the bowling alley and this gal came up to me and said, you some kind of Jesus freak? I said, absolutely. Who are you a freak for? Amen? You know, the word fan is short for fanatic. And we, we can be fans or sport teams. We'll yell, we'll scream, we'll wear, we'll wear their uniforms. You're not playing, but you'll wear the uniforms. And we'll do all this stuff to show our allegiance to a baseball team or a football team or a basketball team. Guys, we ought to be showing our allegiance to Jesus Christ. And if we're going to be shouting for somebody, let's shout for him. Amen? It's okay to scream at a football game, but scream a little louder for the Lord. So how do we keep moving forward in the midst of difficult? How do we keep running this race of faith? So number, number A there is through the encouragement of those who have gone before us. You know, we've seen the example of all those who've been faithful. You know, they were not super Christians. Let me make that clear. They, they, were, they weren't just born different. They, just, they were sinners like us filled with the Holy Spirit. And then God would pour out the Spirit in the Old Testament for a time. And they would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Wherever they showed up, the Holy Spirit showed up. You've heard me say it. When David showed up, when the Philistines were lined up against the people of God, the Holy Spirit just entered the arena. Amen? And when you go to work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered your workplace. When you go into the grocery store, the Holy Spirit just came into the grocery store. Guys, wherever we go, we are tools in the hands of the Master. Amen? And be encouraged by the testimonies of those who've gone before us. A point B there, laying aside every weight. It says, let's be surrounded by so great a cloud of witness. Let us lay aside every weight. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who run in a place all run, run in a race all run, but one who receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, while an athlete may train with weights, again, we talked about this for the purpose of an event, they don't carry the weights into the event. You know, you see baseball players, they put donuts on to make the bat heavier so when they're swinging it, it's heavier. And then, but before they go up to the plate, they take, that, they take that weight off and they want to swing a lighter weight. The people that run, the people that are, are doing swimming, they got, you know, tight things, they shave all the hair off and they, you know, wear, what are they doing? They're trying to break all resistance. They're trying to run the race with the least amount of resistance. Set aside every weight, the lightest shoe, the, the lightest clothing that they can wear. Why? Because we don't want to carry weights when we run into a race. No athlete would ever participate with weights on. It would only slow him down. And Sprinters today, again, lighter, light, lighter shoes. Imagine, again, if you were uh, watching the Olympics and a guy came out, you know, wearing a backpack with 400 pounds of weights in it. You'd say, that guy's going to lose and he's stupid. What's he doing? But we as Christians, that's how we run the race sometimes. We wonder why we stumble. We wonder why we're not having an impact on the world around us. Well, part of it is we're hanging on to the things of this world that make us ineffective to run the race for the Lord. We need to let those things go. We need to lay those things aside, and the Lord will help us do it. Added weight is not against the rules, but it would destroy any chance of winning the weight. The word for weights there is liberties that we may uh, feel, be free to enjoy, but will hinder us from running the race and finishing the race. Look, I know that it's so easy to think that this sounds legalistic. And if any of you know me for five minutes, you know I'm, I'm the furthest thing from legalistic. I believe in the grace of God. Amen? That being said, be holy for I am holy. Amen? We are to love God and hate sin. 
And those things that we allow, and some of them aren't even necessarily sin. What I mean by that is your career and doing your job as unto the Lord is a godly thing and you should do it. But if you do it 100 hours a week and you spend no time with the Lord, you spend no time in his word, you have no time to be used for the kingdom of God, that's a weight that needs to be laid aside. Amen? See, doing that which is good can be an enemy of that which is best when it takes away from our... Now look, don't go the opposite extreme and lay around and watch Netflix and eat donuts so I can be freed up to serve the Lord. Don't do that, amen? We need to do our job and honor God and all those things, but we need to make sure that we live a balanced life. And we need to make sure that we live a life in a way that we don't cause others to stumble. It was a test for Paul that not only lawful but unlawful, does, does it edify? Now, I wrote this down, and I heard this from Pastor Chuck, and I should have made copies of it, and I have it in the back of my Bible. And this is what I think about when I make decisions, and it's not original with me. So when contemplating whether or not I should do something, watch something, say something, Here's the five things. Can I thank God for it? Is this something I can thank God for? Can I bring God glory through it? If I do this, will God be glorified? Or will it cause people to stumble? Will I stumble another brother or sister by doing it? If I do this, am I going to cause other people to fall? Am I going to cause other people to stumble? Look, as a pastor, I believe in 1 Timothy 3. This is just an easy one, and people like to emphasize it, but don't think it's more important than others necessarily. But pastors are not to drink alcohol, period. Okay, 1 Timothy 3, not given to wine. But I believe a pastor who drinks a non-alcoholic beer at a, at a Mexican restaurant can still stumble people. So I don't do that either. Can I get an amen to that? See, the whole point is you live in such a way that you draw people to the Lord, you don't cause them to stumble. And if you're somebody who's been walking with the Lord and people know you're a Christian, be careful about your actions because you can cause somebody. So some, there are people that can have a glass of wine with dinner with their wife between them and the Lord. And, and the Bible says you can do that, uh, you know, and, and just as long as you don't get drunk, right? But there are people that struggle with it. And so if they see the pastor or they see someone like you that they know is a devout Christian drinking, and maybe they had realized I need to stop doing that, they may fall in line and say, well, they can do it. I can do it. Paul said, if, if eating meat will stumble my brother, I won't eat meat. There's no sin in the Bible about eating meat. Thank you, Jesus. But there's no, there's no, no, no one in the Bible to say we can't eat meat. But if you're having a brother over who's a devout vegan or whatever, give him some tofu. And I'll be drinking water. Can I get an amen? But the point is, don't stumble your brother. It's not worth it. Amen? But we need to lay those weights aside. And so, again, will I stumble on my brother? Is it Following the example of Jesus. Would Jesus do it? I know people didn't like those WWJD things, right? When I was a youth pastor, we used to all, I used to wear one to work. Youth group kids wore them. I, don't, I think that's a good reminder, amen? Would Jesus do this? Would Jesus watch this movie? Would Jesus go to this party? Would Jesus imbibe in this, this drink? Or would Jesus do it? And then finally, if everyone in the church imitated me, what would the church look like? So let me say that again. When contemplating whether or not I should do something, can I thank the Lord for it? Can I bring God glory through it? Will I stumble another brother by doing it? Is it following the example of Jesus? And if everyone in our church imitated me, what would the church look like? You know what? I think when we run things through that, you know, and of course we need the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, some of the compromises we're making we might want to walk away from. So the weight there is anything that hinders our walk. And again, it could even be a good thing. Your career, your possessions, your hobbies, it could even be a relationship that hinders your walk. You need to lay that aside. We need to run lean and focused, not lethargic and distracted. Lean and focused, not lethargic and distracted. You know what? It's, fun. it's interesting how this happens. It happens all the time. We'll have somebody come to the church, they've been here two weeks, and they come up and say, how can I serve? I know this is our church now. What can we do? How can we serve? How can we get involved? How can we help? What can we do? Show us. You have people that come for five years and never put away a chair. I'm not bagging. Now, you're going to be fighting with each other over who's putting away chairs after church. I already know it's happening. <laughs> I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? But the point is that it's kind of heartbreaking that we, I believe you, you, know, you know the Lord. You have a relationship with the Lord. You're here on Sunday. We could be doing something else. But guys, it needs to go past having that arm's length relationship with God. 
and walking in intimate fellowship with him. And I'm not just trying to drum people up to do stuff. You know, the pastors here will do everything if, if, if no one else will do it. We'll just do it. But we don't want to do it, not because we're afraid to do it, but because we want others to use their gifts. Amen? We want to see you guys use your gifts. We want to see you guys, and I'm excited. Hey, by the way, we're going to be starting a, uh, like a, a young adults Bible study. Okay, Chris and Craig are going to be overseeing it. We're going to start it soon. If you're in that 18 to, and you still are to a 30s age group and you want to go to a Bible study and hang out with some people that are like-minded, love Jesus, we're going to start doing that. We're praying about starting a seniors. Look, I want ministry to be available to everybody all the time. Amen? And so the way that happens is maybe you're called to do something that we haven't even thought of, and unless you step out to do it, it's not going to happen. Sometimes it's because we got so many weights carrying us down, holding us down, that we become spiritually lethargic because we're so focused on the things of the world. And again, you don't have to, you know, you know, compromise at work or anywhere else. Um, there's a few people here that work with me. My whole attitude is I want to be the hardest worker in the building. I want to honor God in all I say and do. So when I share my faith with somebody, they, they, you know, they recognize that I'm a man of my word. Amen. We should all do the same. So laying aside every weight, whatever that is that's keeping you from doing what God has called you to do, and I shared this once before too, uh, when I was younger, I, was, I worked at the job I have now, but I used to pay ridiculously more back in the day, and I made more money than anybody I knew, and I bought a house bigger than I needed, and then when I wanted to do more for ministry, I realized that I had golden handcuffs because I had this massive mortgage. And you know what? We, can, we need to be careful that, we, that our whole life isn't invested in just the stuff of this world so that we have no freedom to serve God. Eventually, we sold the house and we moved into a mobile home so we could have more time to serve the Lord and keep our kids in Christian school. And I'm not saying owning a house is wrong. I think it's a good investment and we should do it. But let's make sure that we're not so invested in the house that we have nothing left to invest in the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen to that? So lay aside that weight. Then notice what it says. C is laying aside... The, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Sin, those things that are clearly outlined in Scripture, also the conviction of the Holy Spirit that separate us from God. We have some new people. Sin is an archery term. It's a distance between the bullseye and where your arrow lands. We all fall short. The bullseye is Jesus. None of us are there. Whether we miss it by a mile or a million miles, we've missed the mark. And so sin ensnares us. Sin is not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. Amen? Sin is not bad just because God forbid it. It's forbidden because God knows it will bring harm to us. He's our heavenly father. What do you do for your children? You say no to things that you know will harm them. The Lord says no to us, the things that he knows will harm us. And he wants to keep us from it. It says the sin that so easily ensnares us. In, in Greek, it means the sin which easily stands against us. How do you guys get so convicted sometimes when you sin and the enemy condemns you so heavily that you just want to, I'm not even going to go to church. I can't, even, I can't even go. I'm such a loser. Now, that's the enemy. Can I get amen to that? I've had people say, well, yeah, I stopped coming because I was really messing up. By the way, that's when you need to be here the most because we're all messing up. Can I get an amen to that? Who's messing up? All right, there you go. Join the club of the messing up people and get to church. Amen? We need to be in fellowship. Amen? But sin, it's, and Luther said this, it's, the, it's ever clinging to us, always surrounding us. You know, the enemy just is right there. He knows your weakness. You know, the, the Lord doesn't tempt you, the enemy does. He's not going to tempt you. He's not going to tempt me with tofu, not going to work. Bring 500 pounds of it, put it in my driveway, it'll stay there until the Lord comes back. I ain't going near it. Amen? I'll eat grass before I eat that stuff. Amen? So he doesn't take, but, but well, you put some steaks out there. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, Lord, you know. Have you ever noticed guys when barbecues are on in the neighborhood? They come out, who's cooking? Somebody's cooking something. I told my wife years ago, if, you wanted to, if we wanted to be wealthy, and if women wanted to attract men, quit getting perfume with flowers. Just put barbecue sauce behind your ear. You'll be, you'll be attracting guys from down the street, amen? So much of one's real relationship with God and our level of spiritual maturity can be seen in how we respond to sin. Here, this, is, this is really the spiritual where we are spiritually. How do we respond to the sin in our own life? 
it's easy to point out the sin in someone else's life. It's easy to be the sin sniffer and the Pharisee pointing at everyone else. I'm too busy looking at the sin in my own life and dealing with that. Amen? And so spiritual maturity is, how do you see the sin? Do you make excuses for it? Well, it's 2021, man. You know, the culture's different. So, you know, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend, but everybody does that. Uh, No, they don't. And even if they did, God's word, not the culture, is the standard for Christians. Amen? We don't do what the world says. We do what the word of God says. How does a spiritual child of God, a man of, or woman of faith, look at sin? Well, they don't look for a loophole. I've had people say to me, well, how much can I do and still go to heaven? <laughs> you know, how far can I get to the edge of the cliff without falling off? How, how, you know, dude, I want to be nowhere near that cliff. Can I get an amen? I don't want to be anywhere near that. And yet there's people that say, well, you know, I, I just, as long as I go to heaven, I still want to be like the world. Can I encourage you? What the world has to offer is nowhere near as good as what God wants to give you. Amen? Those things that are drawing you away, sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end it leads to death. And we need to lay that stuff aside. Too many people are looking for a loophole. Well, the Bible was written 2,000 years ago. You know, pot grows up out of the ground, bro. So it says in Genesis to, that God gave us every herb, so we should be able to smoke that. That's like 25 people at Calvary Santa Cruz where I used to be the pastor. They have that debate weekly. No. Here, here's some poison oak. That comes up out of the ground. Why don't you smoke that? No, but they're taking, they're trying to find loopholes in the Bible to do what their flesh wants instead of erring on the side of holiness, erring on the side of honoring God, trying to find a way to be entangled with the things of this world. Guys, we're not trying to carry as much weight as possible or be as entangled by sin as much as possible, but we're running this race to win. It's sin. I'm not going to be involved in it, running the race of faith. Are you running the race of faith? Is Jesus the priority and passion of your life? Do you wake up every morning looking to please and honor God? Or are you so distracted by the things of the world, you don't know where your Bible is? You never share your faith. And God, and God gets an hour and a half a week because your wife drug you here. Where are you at with Jesus? You see the priority, you see the passion of your life. It says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word endurance there in, in uh, Greek is hupomone, which means putting one foot in front of the other until I finish. I like that. Running with endurance, just putting one foot in the front of the other until I, I finish. You know, one of the many things I love when it happens, especially like in the Olympics, where you see somebody that maybe gets injured and they're still not done. And there was one a few years back where the guy had trained and he got hurt and his dad came out of the stands and put his arm around his son and his son hopped to the finish line. And I love that endurance. I love that I'm going to finish. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit. I'm going to endure. And it's not, I'm going to do it in my strength. I know I can do it in his strength. I know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he'll give me the strength to finish the race. You can't quit and finish. You can't give up and finish. The Christian race is not only a competitive, it's not a competitive event to see who comes in first, but it's endurance run to see who finishes faithfully. I love when they do marathons and there'll be people there long after all the people in the front finished. You would see some old, older gentleman or somebody who's been struggling with their weight or whatever, and the, 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 the runners are finishing at two hours and here's somebody coming in at seven hours. But they saw the crowd of people cheering for them because you know what? For them, it was about finishing. And guys, for us, it should be about finishing. Amen? Let's finish the race for the Lord. Let's not quit. Let's not give up. The word for race there is where we get the word agony. <laughs> finish the agony. It's where the word is, what the word means. It's used for a conflict or a struggle. Go through the struggle and don't give up and keep trusting the Lord. Because see, everybody used mightily in scripture has suffered greatly. And when you go through trials and difficulty without a test, there's no testimony. Amen? 
And it's through those trials of life that we grow the most and we have the greatest opportunity to minister to somebody else. God has set a race before you. It says there at the end of there, the race that has been set before us. God has set a race before you and you must run it. It will involve effort. It will involve commitment. Just being passive never runs a race. God wants us to run the race and to finish it right. It says in Acts 20, 24. Here's one of my three life verses. I'm actually going to be teaching at a pastor's conference here in a couple weeks. Yeah, pray for me. I have to go to Hawaii to speak at this conference. So I'm going to be suffering for Jesus. I'm sorry. It's actually one of the radio stations we're on, so they asked me to come speak at their conference. And I'm going to be teaching Acts 20, and here's one of the verses. None of the, this is the Apostle Paul. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See, he was talking about his imprisonments, being you know, stoned to death, being beaten, you know, day and night in the deep, and, you know, and hungers often, and all the things he went through. And then his response is, but none of those things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. See, I only give up if my life is more important than my relationship with Jesus. Guys, we need to get to the place where my relationship with Jesus is more important than my life. Oh, Pastor Dave, that's that. Okay, whoa. That must be the super Christian class that meets on Sunday nights. I'm not in that class. That should be all of us. Amen? Can't finish by quitting. And the first century Jewish Christians were contemplating quit, quitting. They were contemplating walking away from the Lord and going back to the temple. And he's exhorting them, you can't quit and finish. You need to let aside every, every weight that entangles you. Too many hurdles, things wearing us down. It's easier just to quit. It's easier to make excuses for why we don't go to church anymore. It's easier to get into a bad habit and continue in it. Guys, I'm, I'm trying I'm, I'm be loving and be encouraging and be gracious but I know there's people that are watching on live stream right now. You haven't been to church in 15 months. And the Bible says, forsake not the getting yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. And look, if you've got an, a medical issue that's keeping you home or somebody texts me, she goes, I live in Indiana. You know, don't, I'm not talking to you, Norma. God bless you. <laughs> we love you. You rock. She's on every, she watches every message from Indiana. If I don't meet, I'll probably never be in Indiana. So I'll see you in heaven. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm talking about people who live a mile from here. And then I run into him coming out of a movie. So don't tell him you don't go outside. You just don't go out. Well, I just like staying home and eating pizza and watching church in my pajamas. You're missing out. Can I get an amen? We need fellowship. Well, it's good in the morning. As long as there's no tofu on it, it's good. Okay, verse two. Look at this. Here's, here's the best part. Look what it says here. So we're going to, through encouragement, laying aside every weight, laying aside the sin, running with endurance. And here's the key, ready? Looking unto Jesus. Look at verse two, we'll finish with this verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus. The NASB, the New American Standard Bible, by the way, just a quick Bible New American Standard, King James, and New King James are word-for-word -word translations. Virtually all, other, not, virtually all other translations are thought-for-thought -thought translations. So word-for-word, -word, you can do word studies. It's hard to do that. The NIV and things like that, God can use that. My wife got saved uh, reading a New Believer's Bible that was basically a commentary on the Bible. God used it. She, it was called the Way Bible. Anybody who's old like me will remember those from the 60s and 70s. But a word-for-word -word translation, and the NASB says this, not looking unto Jesus, but fixing our eyes on Jesus. One of my favorite worship songs ever is, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. See, guys, if we have our eyes on Jesus, we're not going to be distracted by this mess out here. Amen? When we set our mind on things above and not on things of the earth, we're not going to be overwhelmed by every, everything that's going on. We'll pray about these things and we'll go vote and do the things we should do, but we keep our eyes on Jesus. We're not afraid and we're not overwhelmed and we're not getting angry and we're not becoming bitter and we're not becoming so mad at what's going on in the world that we cease to be usable for the kingdom of God. Guys, I don't want to win battles. I don't want to win arguments. I want to win people to Jesus. Amen? Lord, help us. 
We can only run the race if we look to Jesus and have our eyes locked on him. I often think about this, and here's how I envision it. I'm running the race, and Jesus is at the, at the finish line with his arms out, ready to give me a hug when I'm done. And that's how I kind of envision it. Lord, I'm running to you, and I want to run at full speed to you. I don't, want to, I don't want to get there one second later than I have to. I want to, I want to have my head down. I want the weights taken off, and I want my focus and my passion being on finishing the race for you. He's our focus. He's our inspiration. He's our savior. He's our example. I have people that, like my dad and others, who speak into my life, but the real example is the Lord. Amen? He's the perfect example. Ancient Greek, again, looking unto Jesus implies a definite looking away from other things and a present looking. So it says looking unto Jesus means turning your eyes away from everything else and looking at Jesus. Getting your eyes off of everything else that was distracting you and look into Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit convict you about the things that are distracting you. I'm not talking about your job. I'm not talking about your marriage. I'm not talking about raising godly kids. Those are all things God's called you to do. But there are things in your life that take your eyes off of Jesus. And before you know it, you've gotten off track. Before you know it, you're not running toward the Lord anymore. It says he's the author and finisher of our faith. The word author there means originator. He's the one that created our faith, originated our faith. He's the one that gives us the reason we can have faith. He paid the entrance fee to get us in the race, and he did it through the sh his shed blood on Calvary. Let me say that one more time. We're called to run the race, and the entrance fee to get into the race was the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Because of him, we get to enter into the race, and may we finish it well. He comes alongside us. He's a finisher of our faith. The Bible says, He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He comes alongside us. He helps us finish the race. He encourages us. He makes sure we finish. And how did he do that? Look what it says there. This is perfect as we're going now to communion. It says there, He endured the cross. The Bible says when we take communion, as often as we do, we do it in remembrance of Him. And we need to look back to the cross and never take it for granted, never take it lightly. The first century Jewish Christians were struggling to endure. They wanted to drop out due to persecution and difficulty. How much did he endure? See, whatever that it is that it's costing you right now, whatever your faith may take away from you or you feel like is taking it out of your life, go back and look what Jesus endured and compare it to that. Jesus endured the cross. See, crucifixion was so vile that it was almost considered like a curse word to speak it in public. It was literally that vile. You didn't talk about the cross. The cross was something that the Romans created to make people die in the most excruciating and painful and shaming way possible. They would put you out on a, a busy city street. They would strip all your clothes off of you, and then they would make you die as slow and as painful as possible death. And Jesus endured that for you. He endured that for me. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your grace. Amen? Amen. And you know what? He's willing to do that for us. Are we willing to make a stand for him? He had nails put through his hands. He had a crown of thorns on his head. It's putting nails through his feet. Every breath was painful. He'd eventually suffocate on the cross. And every time he would move up, all the nails would pull. And they were in, they were in places you know, where your nerve endings are. And it would just bring shock through your whole body. And Jesus could have got down off that cross anytime he wanted to. But he endured it because he loves you. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. How do you determine the value of something, what someone's willing to pay? And Jesus paid it all. He paid the ultimate price to redeem us from our sin, to give us strength to endure. It says he despised the shame. The glorious creator, almighty God, left heaven, went to the cross, body battered, face marred, beyond recognition, covered in blood, spit and dirt, and the king of glory held an open shame. He took on my shame and yours. You know, who needs to be, you know who deserves to be put to shame? Me. And he was put to shame for me. He should never have been put to shame. I deserve to be put to shame. He was put to shame, so I don't have to be. What a great God we serve, amen? What a gracious God we serve. What a loving God we serve. It just, uh, it just brings me to tears sometimes. See, they felt they were enduring a great deal, but it was nothing compared to what Christ endured for us. But notice this, he endured it. 
But now where is he? He despised the shame. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, they would brag about the priest is still in the temple. Our great high priest is seated at the right hand of God. Their priests all died. Our priest has risen, living Savior has triumphed over sin and death. Amen? We look to him. What did he look to as he endured suffering and shame of the cross? The joy that was set before him. See, there's a joy that's set before us. If, we're, if you know the Lord, if you're born again, if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, the Bible tells us you'll close your eyes on earth and you'll open them up in glory. Christians die well. We don't die, we just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? And because of that, we have joy that's set before us. I know a lot of us have seen people go to heaven, and we grieve, and we should. We love them. We miss them. We grieve for us. But, but if they know the Lord, we don't grieve for them. I'm so glad that my mom and dad are in heaven. Paying the price to redeem you and me, he gave us eternity. He gave us eternity. Focus not on temporary suffering, but on the internal and greater glory. The focus is eternal glory, not temporary difficulty. You know what? This is but light affliction when compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. This is nothing compared to heaven. Nobody's in heaven bummed that they suffered for Jesus. Amen? Nobody's in heaven bummed that they serve the Lord fully. But there are people in heaven that are bummed that they, didn't, that they weren't willing to suffer at all for Jesus, or they were unwilling to get out of their comfort zone for the Lord. Set your mind on things above. He's interceding for you right now. He wants to help you finish the race. Oh, Lord, help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word as we go down to a time of communion. I pray we would look back to the cross of Calvary and remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. But Lord, also look forward, look within at our own hearts. Lord, I love today's chapter, just how you've called us to lay aside the weights. Lord, we all have different weights, but we all have them. Lord, help us identify those things that are taking our eyes off of you. Help us identify those things that are keeping us from running the race full speed. Show us, Lord, and help us to set those things aside. Lord, the areas of sin that we've allowed to, to remain in our life, those in some people maybe a stronghold, Lord, help us deliver us from it. Whether it's in their thought life, stuff they're looking at on a computer, uh, drugs or alcohol, gossip, lying, uh, pride, Lord, whatever it is, we've all got areas where there's sin in our life that needs to be set aside. Help us, Lord by the power of your Holy Spirit, to repent from those, to turn from those, and to seek first your kingdom and your glory always. Lord, I pray also as we go this time of communion, we look back to the cross and look within our own hearts, but look forward to the day. You know, there's joy that is set before us. We want to finish strong for your kingdom. Lord, we got a vapor of time. Help us to run well. Help us to run worthy. Help us not to sit on the sidelines and wait, but step out in faith to be used for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, So they're going to start passing out the elements as they do. Uh, Guys, go ahead and start doing that. Here you come. Um, The worship team is going to lead us in a song. Once you have the elements, just hang on to them. And I just prayed it, but here's the three things I would encourage you to do. You don't have to do it, but we're going to take the elements together. The Bible says, as often as you do this, Jesus said it, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So right now we're thinking about what Jesus did. And it's an act of worship to remember what he did and to thank him for it. Amen? So hold on and remember him. But he also says, you know, to look within. Be there any wicked way in me? There might be a need to be a time of repentance in your walk. Maybe there's something there that you want to just bring to the altar and say, Lord, I remember what you did for me. I know you paid for it. Lord, help deliver me from it. But then also looking ahead. I can't, heaven is so much better. I cannot wait. Amen? Can't wait for heaven. Well, I'll be on time. I can't wait for heaven. We're going to worship and bring the house down. I can't wait. Amen? But as we take communion, let's remember that heaven is what's coming and that we look forward to the day. Jesus said to the apostles, the next time I take this with you, I'll take it with you in heaven. So that means we're going to be taking communion in heaven. I look forward to that day. Again, Lord, prepare our hearts for communion, Lord. Help us to spend this time with you. We thank you for the greatest act of love in all of human history, in Jesus' name, amen.